Uh, if you read a little bit for context, you find out that Jesus has been under immense scrutiny, first for healing on the Sabbath in Luke 14, and then for his willingness to eat with sinners in the first two verses of chapter 15. And in response to this, he offers up a parable. Now, it's very clear in verse 3 that the whole of chapter 15 is one parable, okay? But it's in three sections. Uh, Some points that we need to remember moving forward. This one parable has three divisions, like I just said. And most people label this the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost silver, and the parable of the lost son. But my, my offering to you tonight today is this. The focus, I think, on these parables, or this one parable, is not on the lost. The focus is on those who are seeking what's lost. I believe the focus in what we'll talk about this morning is on the shepherd. The focus in the second is on the woman. And the focus in what we call the prodigal son is actually on the gracious father. Something else to notice, there are three audiences to this parable. In verse 1, we see that Jesus is speaking to publicans and sinners. In verse number 2, we see that there's also scribes and Pharisees there. And then in verse 1 of the next chapter, we find out that the disciples were there too. Now, how can there be... There's three audiences. And with these three audiences... There's also three messages. Now, wait a minute. How can he say one thing and there be three messages? Let me give you an illustration to kind of analogize this. If I have two children, and I do, and I come home and I see that one of them has cleaned their room and one of them has not, and I say loud enough for both of them to hear, I sure am glad. That my kids clean their room, each one is going to take the same message differently, aren't they? One's going to be like, I'm glad I cleaned my room. The other's going to be like, oh man, I didn't clean my room. Well, that's what's happening here. You've got three audiences. You've got, you've got the, the, the publicans and the sinners. You've got the scribes and Pharisees, and you've got the disciples. They all hear the same thing, but each one of them takes a starkly different message. Now, this is where it gets really neat, y'all. If you've been here the last three Sundays, Sunday mornings, you know that we've talked about the doctrine of hope, the doctrine of faith, and the doctrine of love, right? Didn't have this intention. Just the Lord led me to this passage in my reading and in my study. And John Phillips brings something out that's very interesting to me. The message to the publicans and the sinners is you have hope. The message to the scribes and Pharisees is, where is your love? And the message to the disciples is, you want to guess? Increase your faith. Hmm. That's what happens when you have 66 books all produced by the same author, the Holy Spirit of God. Something else to notice. There are three lessons And each one of these lessons within this parable focuses on a person of the Godhead. The shepherd is a picture of Jesus, the son. The woman searching for her lost coin tells us a great deal about the spirit. And obviously, the prodigal son 
is dealt with by a gracious what? Father. Huh. So here's what we're going to do if the Lord will help us. For the next four Sunday sermons, this morning, tonight, next Sunday morning, next Sunday night, we're going to work through Luke 15. We're going to study these three stanzas. Tonight, we're going to look to the woman that's searching for her lost coin. Next week, we'll use both messages to break down the parable commonly known as the prodigal son. But this morning, our focus is on the shepherd searching for his lost sheep and what that means to us. Now, all three of these serve the same basic theme, and that's this, God's heart for sinners. How does God feel towards sinners? What is God's intention for sinners? What is he, does he want to reach them? Does he love them? Does he, does he care whether or not they come to him? It answers all of that. So the series, if we're going to title the series, we're going to title it, Our Seeking, Searching, Saving God. Okay? But for this morning, let's focus on the seeking shepherd. The seeking shepherd. Father, would you help me this morning as I preach this? May I handle your word exactly as you'd have me to, rightly, and, and may I divide the truth exactly as it should be. May Christ be lifted up in it. Have your will and way in our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. It's important to note that in that last verse, Jesus is speaking a bit tongue-in-cheek. He's not saying the Pharisees and scribes are saved people. He's saying they're people that don't think they need repentance, people that don't think they need God's righteousness. They think they're righteous in and of themselves, see. Well, it's appropriate to see Jesus as a shepherd, isn't it? We're told three times in the Bible that he's a shepherd. John calls him the good shepherd. Hebrews calls him the great shepherd. And Peter calls him the chief shepherd. He says of himself in John 10 verse 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. The writer of Hebrews says this, who, excuse me, Paul, excuse me, um, the writer of Hebrews says, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working you that which is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. First Peter 5 verse 4, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. We're talking about our seeking shepherd. Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, that shepherd needs to find you today. You need to be found, okay? If you're here today and you have been saved, it's time to really, really appreciate what the shepherd has already done for you and what he continues to do for you. Can we first of all look at this? Let's look at the gravity of the situation that's presented here. The gravity of the situation. If you're a lost sheep, a sheep is in perpetual grave danger. I have the opportunity to watch sheep a great deal. They're outside of my office. They're also outside of my home. 
They raise sheep over here. They raise sheep at my home. A couple of, a couple of plots away are a bunch of sheep. And I get to watch them a lot. And I know this, that there are measures taken to protect those sheep because those sheep don't have much to protect themselves. In fact, it's interesting. For years and years and years, there was a donkey that was across the street. Miss Vicky loved that donkey. That donkey's now since gone on to donkey heaven. But, uh, but that, you know why that donkey was there? Coyotes. I didn't know this. A donkey will stomp a mud hole in a coyote. I didn't know that. Apparently, llamas aren't great for them, or alpacas aren't great for them either. So now there's an alpaca over there. Why? Protect the sheep. Because a sheep left to themselves gets into trouble real easy in perpetual grave danger. It's common behavior among all sheep. They are prone to dangerous choices. Huh. They are defenseless against predators, and more often than not, when left to themselves, they worsen their situations. Little wonder that over and over again, we're referred to as sheep in the Bible. Think about it. Mankind is under a grave condition. It's a common behavior among all men. All we, like sheep, have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. We make dangerous choices, don't we? Romans 3, verse 10, it is written, there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. We are defenseless against he who seeks to devour us. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He says, be sober and be vigilant, because you better see him coming. You better hear him coming, because if he's on you, it's too late. It's too late. And oh, don't we so often worsen our situations. You know, (laughs) a sheep, over time, if not sheared frequently enough, will get a lot of wool on them. And that wool over time will get a lot of weight to it, moisture and dirt and twigs and everything else they get into. And what sheep tend to do <laughs> is they'll roll over onto their back. And if you know anything about ruminants, you know that they have a rumen. And they have a a digestive system that if they're on their backs, it's just going to build up and up and up and up and up, and eventually they're going to die from it. In fact, on a hot day, they'll die in a matter of hours. But they will die, and they cannot right themselves. Oh, Christian, sometimes we're not careful. We pick up stuff from the world, don't we? And before long, we get rolled over, and we can't do anything to fix it. Oh, we try, and we kick, and we, we scream. We do our best to do something. There's nothing we can do. And eventually, if we don't let the shepherd come in and fix it, we'll die too. See, We make our situation worse. Can I say this? I don't think there's too many little kids in here because I know this has become a bad word, but S-T-U-P-I-D, that's how you describe sheep. They're not super smart. Have you ever seen this, this, this thing that's circling around on the Internet? It's this sheep that's down in this really narrow gully, a little ditch, and the guy works hard and gets the sheep out, and the sheep just joyfully prances and boom, right back into the ditch again. That's me. That's you. See, the gravity of the situation. This sheep, if, 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 if the rescuer doesn't show up, there's no hope. Kind of reminds me of what Paul says about us. For when we were yet without strength, nothing we could do. 
no way to fix it. When we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All the gravity of the situation. But I'm thankful to tell you that as, as grave as the situation is, I'm glad I can tell you about the grace of the shepherd. The grace of the shepherd. We see it in several ways. First of all, his grace in the matter of his selflessness. Did you know that the job of shepherd was seen as one of the lowest occupations a Jew could have? Now, it wasn't unclean, like you know, if you were to deal with swine, but it was pretty low on the totem pole. They didn't think much of shepherds. And one of the biggest reasons was because while the job of shepherding wasn't unclean, the task of shepherding often was because they, they couldn't leave the sheep to come in and do the ritual cleansings and the, the feasts and all of that. They had to stay with those sheep all the time. And so the, the rare occasions that they came into town, they were treated as unclean because they'd been out in the field for so long and people looked down on them. Shepherds were not thought. In fact, that, that was that way. You remember when, when, when Joseph brings his family into Egypt, what did he tell them? Don't tell them you're shepherds. Egyptians don't like shepherds. Then what does Jacob do when he says, what do you do? We're shepherds. I've never understood that. Jacob, he just told you not to say you're shepherds. What do you do? We're shepherds. <laughs> you know, no, that, that, that was dumb. But Pharaoh was nice to them anyway for Joseph's sake. Now, what does, that, what does that mean for us? Shepherds would be humbled, they'd be often shunned, and it would take astounding grace for the God of the universe to refer to himself as a shepherd. But that's exactly what he did. He was humbled, why? For us. Amen. Now, take a moment and process that thought. The God of all the universe took on flesh and humbled himself for you, for me. How do I know? Isaiah says in verse chapter 53, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Paul expounds on this in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, Jesus could not save us as God. He had to become man. He had to become one of us. What selflessness. We see the grace of the shepherd in his selflessness. You know what else? We see it in his seeking. Look at verse 4. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? Now let's, let's do some logic here. I've got 99 sheep. One has left. At a hundred sheep, I'm left with 99. 
one has left. Does it make financial sense to leave the 99 and go after the one? The answer is no. But I'm glad that in human thinking, many times, my God doesn't make sense. Because while that may seem like a wrong decision to the 99, I bet you that one was glad. And you were glad when you were that one, weren't you? Yeah, see. He went seeking. He went looking. He didn't have to. Did you know that Jesus didn't have to come for us either? Our ceasing to exist does not diminish him in one, one, one bit. He doesn't need us. He wants us. But why did he come? Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Which, by the way, was in response to a publican named Zacchaeus getting saved. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. His grace is seen in his selflessness, in his seeking. You know what else? His grace is seen in his suffering. A shepherd looking for a sheep has to go everywhere that sheep did. He has to encounter everything that sheep encountered. So if that sheep is lying at the bottom of a ravine, bloodied and bruised, there's a pretty good shot the shepherd, when he finds him, is also bloodied and bruised and marked up and scored and scarred and wounded. See? And so when he comes back with that sheep, the blood on him is not just the sheep's. It's his. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of of us all. I shouldn't have favorites in this kind of thing. But I'll tell you something I love. We see his grace in his selflessness. We see his grace in his seeking. We see his grace in his suffering. And then we see his grace in his securing. Look at verse 5. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Now think about it. This could be a full-grown sheep. I mean, all the pictures you see of some little lamb. But that's not what it says. It says a sheep. Sheep can be 100 pounds or more. So this shepherd takes this sheep, grabs the sheep by the front and hind legs, throws the sheep over his shoulders, and then here's what he would do. He would take those legs and he would tie them together in front of him on his chest. Why? Two reasons. Number one, he didn't want the sheep to slip. And number two, he didn't want the dumb sheep To run. Here's what that shepherd's thinking. After everything I've gone to, to get you where you need to be, to rescue you, I'm not giving you the chance to slip. And I'm not giving you the chance to run. I'm securing What happened when you got saved? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them 
out of my hand. If you're saved today, friend, you are secure. You can't slip away from him, and you can't run away from him. You are secure. Why? Why would eternal security be such an important thing to God? Same reason it would be to a shepherd. After everything I've gone through and everything I've suffered to get you where you are, I'm not going to let you slip, and I'm not going to let you run. You're secure today, friend. And I'm thankful for the graciousness of God in his securing. By the way, we, we tend to shy away from things like restraints and tying and that kind of thing. But can I remind you that the restraints and boundaries of our shepherd, all they do is place in our lives security features. He's just keeping us from getting hurt. Okay? We, we see his grace and his selflessness, his seeking, his suffering, his securing. You know what else? We see it in his strength. Verse 5, it says, And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Now, some people would say the point I'm about to make is not really a point. But we believe in the plenary verbal inspiration of Scripture. We believe every word, yea, every letter is there for a reason, and it matters. Okay? Can I read you a Scripture? We tend to listen to this one at Christmas time. Isaiah 9, 6. Speaking of the Messiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, the millennial government, shall be upon his shoulder, singular. He is able to maintain the government of the world for a thousand years with one shoulder. But when he scoops that sheep up, do we benefit from one shoulder or two? He puts more effort into our day-to-day -day lives than he will governing the world. That's some strength right there. And strength that we have available to us. It's kind of like in Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not afraid, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. You understand that God's neither right-handed nor left-handed. Why does he say right hand? Because right hand is his way of saying, you're getting the fullness of my strength. You're getting it all. <laughs> His grace is seen as his selflessness, his seeking, his suffering, his securing, his strength. You know what else? His grace is seen in his safety. Verse 5 again, when he found, he layeth it on his shoulders. That sheep in that moment is in the safest place possible. You know why? Nothing can get to that sheep except it encounters the shepherd First, friend, can I tell you something? If you're a child of God today, you're as safe in the center of, your will, of his will as you could be anywhere else, more so, because there is nothing that can touch you that does not encounter him first. He has lifted you off the miry clay. He's got you up on his shoulders, the fullness of his strength, and if anything gets to you, it's because God in his wisdom allowed it. Nothing gets to you 
except God allowed it. What safety that is. So, we've seen the gravity of the situation. We've seen the grace of the shepherd. Can I finish up real quick? The glee of the Savior. The glee of the Savior. Verse 5, again. When he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, what? Rejoicing. (laughs) I have a dog. He's a beagle. His name is Otis. And when Otis wanders off, I got to be honest with you, I don't generally find him rejoicing. When I find him, I'm using every Christian wannabe curse word I can use and still be right with the Lord. Like stinking, you stinking mutt. You know, here we are again, down here in a subdivision. Do you want another family? Fine, pick one. I mean, I'm just, I'm just laying into this dog. I tell people all the time, you want a beagle? And my kids are like, no, daddy, don't get it. Well, then you start feeding the dog, and you start chasing him down into the subdivision, and you start, because this dog's getting on my nerves. Dog's not allowed on the couch. We've worked with that dog, and every time we're down there, dog's right on the ottoman until we go upstairs. Come back down, he jumps off the couch. He knows. And so when I find that dog, I'm not rejoicing. Stupid dog, what's wrong with you? You have everything you want up there, and you keep running down here. Why do you do these? And, and of course, then I look like an idiot because I'm talking to a dog, you know. That's not what the shepherd does. Stupid sheep. What's wrong with you? Don't you know I got 99 up there that are doing right? No. (laughs) And I don't know what the devil's tried to tell you the Lord Jesus does when you ask him to forgive you. But I can tell you what it isn't. It isn't, Andy, you moron, you did it again, didn't you? You blew it again, didn't you? Don't you realize I got all the other people at your church are doing right? What's wrong with you? What's your problem? You know, one of these days, I'm not coming after you again. No. It says he found the sheep and put it on his shoulders, <laughs> rejoicing. Amen. I found him. <laughs> He got away from it, but I got him back. And then it says he goes home and he calls his friends and his neighbors. Hey, everybody, I got the sheep, the one I was looking for. She's home. She's safe. Everything's all right. (laughs) Who's his friends and neighbors now? Where's his home right now? Who's his friends and neighbors? Henceforth, I call you not servants. I call you what? Friends. So your loved ones that are going to heaven, that's who he's calling. When he says there's joy in the presence of the angels, it's not the angels rejoicing. It's Christ rejoicing. And it's all the other saints are there rejoicing. Hey, they got saved. Hey, they came back. Hey, they're doing right. Let's rejoice. So the next time you fail, the next time you fall, The next time you mess up, don't you let the devil feed you this idea. Don't go to him. He's not going to take you this time. He's done with you. He's finished with you. He's, no. You go run into that shepherd. You hear him calling. You bleat back as loud as you can. And you know what he'll do? 
He'll take that shepherd's crook and he'll reach down to where you are and he'll pull you up to where he is and he'll put you over his shoulders again and he will secure you and he will rejoice all the way home that you've come back. Please understand, whether it's salvation, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's restoration, all of these things are the same. You are not conquering God's reluctance. You are reveling in his willingness. He saved you because he wanted to. He keeps you because he wants to. He forgives you because he wants to. He uses you because he wants to, not because he has to. Oh, but the devil would have us believe that God likes us sometimes and sometimes he doesn't and he loves us because he promised he would. No. God is love. And we see that most clearly, most clearly in our seeking shepherd. So what? There's three audiences for this. And all three audiences got a different message, and the same is true here. Now, let's be honest. Let, let's, let's, let's get rid of the pretense, okay? It could be there's somebody here or somebody watching online. You're a publican or a sinner. You're living wrong, and you know it. Your life is marred by sin. You've made some bad decisions, and it's cost you dearly. And you feel like God can never use you. You've come up short. This message was for you. Because you've got a shepherd who's looking for you, who wants you. And if you'll let him find you, he'll bring you home rejoicing. That's your so what. Maybe you're not a publican or a sinner like that. Maybe you're a different kind of sinner. Maybe you're a religious sinner like the scribes and the Pharisees. And boy, you dress the part, and you got your King James tucked under your arm. Well, I'm here today, aren't I? Doing the Lord a grand favor, being in his house. And yes, I put some money in the box. Listen, I'm grateful if you did. But so? Oh, yes, I'm all I should be. And God is pleased with me. And the reality of it is our attitudes stink and we gossip and we do all sorts of other things and we're not what we should be in God's eyes. You see, the publicans, you've got a message of hope. But, hey, Pharisees, maybe you need to hear about some love. He loved you and loves you and loves others. Maybe you're trying to live for the Lord. You're like the disciples. You're trying to walk with him. And you needed to hear a message like this for your faith. Man, I'm serving the right God here. <laughs> I made the right choice. Lord, increase my faith and help me to know the shepherd even more. Whoever you are, whatever your need, thank God for the seeking shepherd.